Hello and welcome to the Seascapes Collab podcast series. My name is Susie O'Hara and I'm a curator, educator and practice-based researcher exploring emerging models of cross-sector collaboration between art, innovation and society. I'm currently working in partnership with the Seascapes Time to Tea Shores and Seas Marine Heritage Project, Seascapes for short, which is generously funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and University of Sunderland. For the past three years, I've been curator and lead researcher for Seascapes Collab, a multi-year creative engagement project that aims to scaffold creative experimentation between artists, researchers, marine heritage specialists and coastal communities living along the northeast coastline. The resulting creative experiences, participatory artworks and interactive exhibitions explore how we can better connect with our world and co-develop sustainable ways to care for our marine environment through art and creativity. Today we're going to deep dive into Sound Mirror, a digital artwork that explores how listening to the contemporary coastal environment enables the sight of a World War I sound mirror to emerge from the intersection of technologies and shared histories. Join us as we hear lead artist Rob Smith and Hannah Fishburne, who works for the charity Oasis Education, discuss the project with Robin Daniels from Tees Archaeology and Diane Stevens, manager of the Hough Pottery Museum in Hartlepool. My name's Rob Smith and I'm a visual artist and I've been working with Seascapes to look at the archaeological site of a sound mirror in Clavering in Hartlepool. So the way that I imagine the sound mirror is that it's a kind of environmental sensor. It's a technological apparatus for listening to the environment. And so in the First World War, the operators would have been there with headphones on, listening to the sounds around them and trying to hear the sounds of the zeppelins approaching. But today we have a whole load of different senses, other ways of listening to the environment. Through our phones, we're able to record sounds through microphones and things, and we have different tools for hearing things. So it's a, yeah, it's just a, an opportunity to creatively work with these. So how do we understand sound as data, as volume or frequency or pitch? And, you know, these things make up the soundscape around us. And by understanding this information, uh, then we're able to start to make new stories, new narratives about the places that we live. I think often, like, sound is not necessarily one of the senses that you tune into a lot. Obviously, you know, it's there, but to actually really focus on it was really interesting. I'm Hannah. I work for OASIS, which is a charity. It stands for Outdoor and Sustainability Education Specialists. And we are delivering some workshops with primary school children as part of the Seascapes project to help them learn about the history of their local area and think all about kind of the landscape of where they live as well. So we're sort of, I'd say, two thirds of the way through the project. So initially it started in October last year through the archaeological dig 
and then I was able to work with Clavering Primary School and uh, some of the classes there. And we were thinking about how you can sort of understand sound as data. And so I worked with them to make a computer program on their iPads using a uh, programming language called Scratch. And we were able to make sound level monitors. So they would essentially have a picture of a, a Zeppelin that they could draw on the computer. And then they would connect that to the microphone in their iPad. And this would then, as the sound levels increased and decreased, the size of their Zeppelin would get bigger and smaller. And uh, yeah, so it was a, a really simple way of just getting them thinking about the sounds, not as just noise or hearing things, but thinking about how loud it is, how quiet it is, so that then we were able to take it outside into the, the space around the school. And we were able to sort of start to think about how that could tell us about the environment outside. So whether we live in a noisy place or a quiet place, whether if you're by the road, it's louder than if, if you're sort of around a corner where it's quiet. So it was just a way of opening conversations about sound in different ways and imagining that sound space of places that we live in different ways. That was a, a really great engaging activity to do with the, with the school. So we ran two workshops with them. So we did one to introduce them to the history. So, for example, we talked about what World War One was and how it had affected Hartlepool, um, what a Zeppelin was, the airship, which a lot of them hadn't necessarily heard of. So to kind of bring that to life, we went out into the school grounds and we measured out 150 meters, which was the average size of an airship. So they had to estimate how big they thought it was. And that really kind of brought the size to life for them, because I think you can say 150 meters, but to actually see it and imagine this huge airship up above them was really exciting. We talked about a sound mirror as well. So we had local artist Rob Smith in the workshop as well. And he explained to them how a sound mirror worked. And then we went and did some sound recording. And then after that, we went to the actual archaeology site and we did some digging to see what we could find. We saw the archaeologists at work, which was really exciting. I think sometimes history can be quite an abstract concept and often you're learning about places that aren't local to you so to actually just go over the road and take part in a historical dig was really exciting for them. The other thing that I was doing was working with the archaeological dig volunteers and we had microphones that we were able to connect to their tools so using a contact microphone and so rather than listening for sounds traveling through the air it would amplify the vibrations of their tools so that there was a very different sensation while they were digging so rather than hearing the sounds around them they could hear the scrape and the cut of their tools as they sort of dug through the soil looking for evidence of the sound mirror so it was sort of getting them to think about sound while they were digging I guess because archaeology is a sort of an action within a landscape that you're kind of looking for information, looking for data of a physical solid kind. But I just wanted them to think about what that sound mirror was doing when they were listening for that data as sound, the sound of the Zeppelins approaching. So it's sort of, you know, it's a very different kind of data which leaves no evidence, I guess. And it's sort of just thinking about sort of the ways in which we find things out is kind of really interesting in the ways that 
you know, these sites come into being through the information that we collect. One of the great things about doing archaeology anywhere, anytime, is it attracts attention. People want to know what you're looking for, what you're finding there. And one of the great bonuses of this project, and one we were hoping for, is that it's engaged the local community. For the first time, a lot of people were realising there was something of significance here that, uh, that was built in the First World War. We've got uh, local people here volunteering with us, getting their first experience of archaeology. We've had a lot of passers-by asking us about what we're doing here and beginning to both see that archaeology is something that can happen on their doorstep. It's not something that happens in just in Egypt or somewhere like that, on Roman sites. And we've had an incredible take-up from the school. So from that point of view, the, the fact that there was something here is now extremely well known in the community. I suppose the main themes of the project is sort of, in one sense, it's about bringing those histories to life and helping people sort of understand that these things existed within the landscape. But it's also, I guess it's about sort of finding ways in which because one of the things around um, historic sites is this idea of interpretation and how, how we understand and interpret these historical sites, providing information and context for people to understand them. And, you know, very often that sort of looks retrospectively and it's very focused on the history. So they can sometimes seem removed and separate from the places that we inhabit today. Or we ask the question, why is that relevant to us today? And so what I really wanted to explore was how we can sort of create an understanding of these historic sites and then find ways to connect with them in the present so that it's not separate. It's actually, it's, it's part of the places we live now. And so by taking sound and working with recorded sounds from our contemporary environment and then using those to bring these historic places to life there's no separation between the historic and the present and you know I'd love to think that in the future people could keep adding sounds into it and it it keeps remaining relevant and keeps transforming and changing into the future it was new to a lot of them and what was great about it was it encouraged them to have conversations with their families you know for example their grandparents and actually they found out quite a lot that they were excited to share at our next workshop. So that was a really nice element of it. Young people through to, I don't know, I wouldn't like to guess the ages of the archaeology group, but let's just say they were older, older people. Yeah. And then, but it just means you have different ranges of conversations. And then just being here at the Yuff Battery today, it's just like people bring different interests. So some people know nothing about the sound mirrors and they come and they're just inquisitive and they, they want to find out about them. Other people have, you know, they have historical knowledge of the sound mirrors or they've seen them before. Uh, apparently they've been on the TV recently. So people have, you know, they have some knowledge of a sound mirror and I've had two people today say, oh, I've seen them on the telly. And it's, so it's kind of, you know, it's what I love about doing projects like this is you get to meet people who bring different bits of information in and their knowledge feeds into the project and it informs it you know and you hear about people's experiences from like a lot of people remember the sound mirror in Clavering even though it's not there today and they oh yeah I used to play on it when I was a kid or oh, I remember that and so they bring bring different stories and a different kind of information again 
into the project. So it's not just about solid things in the archaeology or it's not just about the sounds that are passing, but it's also people's remembering and their sort of subjective knowledge that they bring back into the project. But I think it can encourage or facilitate conversations between like intergenerational conversations, which kind of brings the history to life. You know, if we don't record these accounts, they just get lost. And also, yeah, it, it really brings to life their local history and helps them learn more about their local landscapes. So kind of now as they're walking around, when they walk to school, they know, oh, that was the site where there was a sound mirror. Um, and the more you can learn about your local landscape, the more you learn how to read it. Another big factor of the project as well, and thinking about the archaeology and the history of the sound mirror, is just thinking about the ways in which the landscape around Clavering has transformed over the hundred years since that sound mirror was built. So between 1914 and 1918, at the time of the First World War, it was just open fields down to the sea. There was the railway line that went across. But yeah, it was just a very different landscape. But of course, the sounds of that landscape would have been completely different. So the railway, although it was there, would have been steam trains. You know, there wouldn't be the traffic sound of the roads because there weren't so many cars. I guess a lot of things were just uh, pulled by horse and carts still. So the soundscape of that place would have been really different. And then over the years, that landscape has transformed and changed. And so the sounds that it would have been producing would have changed as well. And so sound is an, a really great indicator of thinking about the activity and the things that are going on in a place. And it sort of brings it to life and it animates it and it, it makes it sort of present in a way uh, that sort of, yeah, the liveliness of a place is in its sounds in a lot of ways. We've run some more workshops, like follow-on workshops, where we've been thinking all about sound. So we've obviously learned about the sound mirrors in the past and how they were used as a listening device. And we thought about the differences in the sounds that we would hear nowadays compared to the sounds that they would hear back in the time of World War One. So we looked at maps and we saw how Hartlepool has grown from a really small village or settlement to quite a big town now. And we went out into the local area and we were listening to the sounds that we can hear nowadays and talking about the different volumes and all the different sounds that we heard. Like I said, we thought about the differences between perhaps back then or now. So, for example, birdsong, we know that the number of birds has decreased over time. So we thought about maybe how it would have been much stronger in the past hearing all the different birds singing um, or the construction sounds, you know, how they would be different, the road sounds, that kind of thing. I'm Diane Stevens. I'm the manager of the Yuffbashi Museum and uh, we were approached to um, host some events alongside the Sound Mirror project and that was happening um, when they were doing the work at Claverin, um, trying to do some archaeological work around Sound Mirror at Claverin. Um, some of our volunteers got involved in the archaeology project and then we had a session at the museum where some equipment was brought to show the 3D image of the sound mirror at the museum and get some involvement from our visitors 
on the museum site. And then we've had an installation of some equipment, which is collecting sound from the museum, which will show when the museum's busy, when it's not busy. It's picking up ambient sounds of the wildlife and the sea and all the other things that go on around the museum when it's not populated by people, visitors, staff and volunteers. So that'll be very exciting to see that part of the project um, when it goes live on the website. Um, values from the sensors and like mapping it to pictures. So, yeah. In some sense, it's impossible to address the sound mirror without thinking about sound. But there's also a visual element to the artwork and a, a digital online element. So there's an, an online artwork that's being developed where the sound can affect the visuals that are produced on the screen. And so it's actually the sound can animate the image on the screen. So there's a, I've made a 3D model of a sound mirror. So using a process called photogrammetry where you can take lots of photographs and you're able to then create a 3D model from those photographs. And this then moves into that digital online space. And I've produced a web page where the sounds being input into that, that web page, they then control the, the ways in which the virtual camera moves around that 3D model, but also the size of the points within that 3D model. So as sound levels increase and decrease, so do the sizes of those points. And so this model of the, um, the sound mirror comes to life through the sounds. And so what we're doing through this project and what we're doing here today at this workshop is we're encouraging people to make their own sound recordings, their own field recordings from Clavering and the Hartlepool area. And these sounds can feed into that artwork. And then they, um, they're added into this database of sounds which then animate and make this model of the sound mirror come to life. So it's, it's moving that, that, sound, that model of the sound mirror away from that historical space and bringing it into the present. And we're taking the sounds from Clavering and Hartlepool today and from this sort of coastal area. And we're, we're then using those to sort of make this, this model come to life and make this artwork, sort of making it together with, with people who live here. It was a really cool workshop and I think even Rob was quite surprised at how many people were interested in just, you know, listening through that device and hearing how sounds can be captured just by, you know, quite a simple piece of equipment, really, you know, just sort of a large type of umbrella kind of uh, structure that, that can be moved around to amplify and capture that sound. And I think, you know, people are, are actually very interested in that kind of thing and, and the technology behind it, especially the old technology and, and how people managed to do that in, in a time before the internet and, you know, electronics in the way that we have them now. I think the more perspectives you can have, the better. I think sometimes history can be quite rigid, but actually it's not. So to bring an artist in to really draw out that creative thinking with the children and to remind them that history, it, 
the perspective can change on it depending who's talking about it if that makes sense so yeah obviously everyone sees events through their own lens so it's really interesting to bring in different people to help make the children aware of this and to help bring history to life We're moving towards a public sharing event of the artwork that's being developed. So this bringing together of the sound recordings that people have been making in and around Hartlepool. And then this will come into this animated model. And it's also an important part for me, I think as well, would be to develop this digital legacy and an online presentation of the artwork. So that I'd love the idea that people anywhere could access this artwork and they could then record some environmental sound through their phone and we could feed those sounds into that animation of the sound mirror. So no matter where you are in the world, it reflects back your soundscape and your environmental data and then it animates this place from it. So it becomes interconnected with where people are and where they're encountering the artwork. And then of course, every time that people encounter that artwork, it's different and it changes every time it's never the same twice. And I think that's part of that sort of sense of how we experience place is that, you know, they evolve all the time and they sort of transform. And you can never quite go back to that same place twice because it's different every time. I'm really, really looking forward to kind of seeing the, the finished project and and I do hope that we'll have another day with the project on site to just showcase this you know it's a it's a phenomenal piece of work that they're, that they're producing and you know there's a lot of effort gone into it and and I do hope that you know people will get the opportunity to to interact with it in in the way that is hoped by Rob and his team uh, that are working on it I do my favorite bit in the project was when uh, we were working with the school groups and I have this parabolic mirror where it has a microphone that amplifies the sounds through the headphones when you can listen to it. There's one girl puts on the headphones and she said, oh, it's just like being in a movie. And it was so exciting. And it was just that sort of sense of the just utter joy of being able to amplify the sounds and hear the world in a completely different way. And uh, yeah, I think that was, that's my project highlight so far. It was really, really, really exciting. <laughs>